Thank you, Brenda. Hey, so one of the things my dad loved to do, uh, some of you have heard me talk about this before, one of the things I loved about growing up in my family was every year we would uh, go uh, on vacation and camp at the beach, and one thing my dad always brought with us on those trips was his metal detector, and he loved, uh, when he was on vacation like that, just to scour the beach you know, with that metal detector, just hoping, you know, he might dig up some small bit of treasure. In fact, uh, treasure hunting uh, kind of is a theme of a lot of television shows uh, right now, right? So uh, just on Discovery Channel alone, they have four different shows around uh, treasure hunting. They have something called Gold Rush, Treasure Quest, Cooper's Treasure, and Devil Canyon. Then, of course, the History Channel has the curse of Oak Island, right? And the reason shows like this are so popular is because deep down, honestly, all of us are treasure hunters. Every one of us in the room. I mean, at one time or another, most of us have thought, at least thought about how amazing it would be, you know, to find, you know, some treasure buried or uh, in the ocean or, or wherever we, we might be able to dig it up. And some of us may have actually spent time you know, looking for treasure, whether it be with scuba gear, a metal detector, or even going to garage sales. And the good news is that Jesus knows this about us. He knows that every one of us in the room are treasure seekers, treasure hunters. And the first thing we should take note of when, in the words that Brenda just read, Jesus, these are words from Jesus' most famous sermon, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to notice that Jesus isn't telling us to, to not seek treasure or to not invest. He's not saying that. He doesn't say, stop desiring, stop seeking, stop planning, stop investing. Quite the contrary, he is encouraging us to seek more and to seek better treasure. In fact, he's not calling us to settle for less. He's encouraging us to seek after more. So Jesus talks about two basic kinds of treasures, right? He talks about what he calls earthly treasures. Then he talks about what he calls heavenly treasures or treasures in heaven. Now, treasures on earth essentially are temporary. In other words, they can be stolen, they can rust, they can decay, they can be lost. But he tells us very clearly in parallel language that treasures in heaven don't rust. They can't be taken away. They can't be lost. They aren't subject to decay. In other words, those treasures last forever. Uh, and there's something else about treasures on earth. Is, and that's this. We don't get to keep any of them. None of us get to keep any of those treasures. So back in 2005, one of the wealthiest philanthropists in the Jewish world passed away. This guy's name was Edward Reichman. He left behind over $1 billion. So when his children gathered for the reading of the will, their attorneys presented them with not one will, but two. One of those was to be opened immediately uh, upon his death. The other, however, was to be opened after the traditional 30-day Jewish mourning period. So among the instructions in the first will was, that the re was the request that Edward be buried in his favorite pair of socks. 
kind of an odd request. So over the course of several days, his family, his kids worked really hard to see that Edward's wish could be granted, that he would be buried in his favorite pair of socks. However, his request was denied because it violated a certain Jewish burial uh, custom. So the family actually contested this. They went before a rabbi in a Jewish court to appeal the decision, but the decision was upheld. So he was not going to be allowed to be buried with his favorite pair of socks. So at the end of 30 days, his family all gathered around to open the second will, and it read something like this. My dear children, by now you have surely buried me without my socks. I want you to understand that a man can accumulate $1 billion in this world, but in the end, he can't even take along a pair of socks. See, at the end of your life, The point is this, a billion dollars will be of no more worth to you than the socks on your feet right now. No matter how much stuff you accumulate, no matter what kind of wealth or fame or accolades you achieve, at the end of the day, every single one of us, we still die and we don't get to take any of that with us. Notice too that Jesus said, Where your treasure is, your heart is going to be there also. Or in other words, your heart follows your treasure. And you go, well, why would Jesus say that? I think it speaks to the power of money, the power that money has over our affections. And this is, in fact, why Jesus closes uh, this teaching with this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. Now, why would he say that? And I think it's for this reason. It's because money makes many of the same promises to us that God makes. So I want to show you a chart. Uh, this is actually from Sky Jathani uh, in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious? He kind of points out, look, uh, so the idol of money versus the living God. So the idol of money uh, makes me feel safe and secure, and so does the living God, right? The idol of money offers me power over the world, so does the living God. The The idol of money gives me a sense of value and dignity. In other words, a lot of people in our culture, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? That's kind of how we keep score. Uh, So in other words, our net worth determines our worth as a human being. Uh, So does God give me value and dignity, right? Uh, Fourthly, uh, the idol of money, there's a community that shares my worship. That's our culture, right? That's the American dream. That's chasing after that dream. And so does the living God. But notice here at the bottom, will never abandon me after death. The idol of money can't check that box, friends, because you can't take it with you. Only the living God can do that. I think I would just say this, that money is an idol that causes people to do crazy things. Let me give you an example of this. 
So Troy and Janet were touring their brand new house, a house that Janet had paid for with her money, a fact of which she often reminded Troy. So in each room of the house, she said to her husband, if it were not for my money, we wouldn't be living in this house. Troy didn't say a word. That afternoon, a truck delivered uh, uh, a truck delivered uh, to, to the house a big load of furniture, furniture that Janet had paid for with her money. And again, she was quick to remind Troy in every room of the house, you know, hey, this furniture in this room wouldn't be here if it weren't for my money. And finally, Troy spoke and he said this, honey, I don't want to make you feel bad, but if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here either. See, money makes us do crazy things, doesn't it? It makes us put up with things, do things, live with things that we ordinarily would never live with. Now, what is it about this teaching? Why, what is it, in other words, why does Jesus think that he can speak with such authority on money? Many of you are aware that Jesus actually taught more on money than any other thing other than the kingdom of God. He talked more about money than he did the devil. He talked more about money than he did spiritual warfare. Uh, But why why did he command us not to store up things on earth, but to make sure that we're also storing things up in heaven? Why does he, uh, why does he do that? So underneath his teaching are two foundational principles that it's important we understand to make sense of this teaching of Jesus. In other words, what gives Jesus the right to tell us how we should use or invest our money? Why would he feel comfortable talking to us about that? Well, the answer is found in 1 Chronicles 29. I want to give you the context. So here's what's happening. King David, who's the king of Israel, has been raising money to build a temple for God and for God's people to come and worship God in. So so they've raised an enormous amount of money. Everybody's super excited. They're having a worship service, and the people are bringing their offerings to God so that the temple can be built in Jerusalem. And King David is kind of emceeing this affair, and here's what he says. He says, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope, O Lord our God. As for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. So here's the principle that we get from this. God owns everything. Everything that passes through your fingers and mine, God owns it. And so as the owner, we become temporary managers of that which God has given to us. Jesus tells many, many parables, you know, about an owner that goes away and then comes back and, you know, talks to the manager. There are a lot of parables that tell out this theme for a reason, because the understanding is that everything you and I have uh, belongs to God. He is the owner. I am the temporary manager. And this is an absolutely foundational bedrock principle from God's Word. Now, when uh, my kids were, were little and they were growing up, 
We had a kind of a little, uh, a little uh, thing we like to do in our family. We, uh, we like to maybe have a movie night, you know, once or twice a week. And so uh, we would have a movie night, and what we would do is we'd all get together and we would pop some popcorn to, uh, to go with our movie. Or maybe we'd even actually go to, you know, a movie theater, maybe buy some popcorn. So regardless of, you know, where we were... Um, we just like to do that. And here's what would kind of happen. So we'd get all settled in. We'd start to watch our movie. And, you know, one of my kids might have a little popcorn in their hand. And I would reach over to start to take some of that popcorn. And they'd kind of do this move, like the duck and cover move. You've seen it, right, in your home. And then they would say something to me as a parent that would absolutely blow my mind. Anybody want to guess what they would say? Wow, you... You, my kids spent time at your houses. That's incredible. That's exactly right. Yeah, they would say, yeah, no, that's my popcorn. Now listen, as a parent, when I would hear my children say that, all kinds of thoughts would run through my head, right? I mean, all kinds of thoughts. My first thought was this, look, I'm the one that bought the popcorn, I am the source and the provider of that popcorn, right? If it weren't for me, you know, you wouldn't even have any popcorn. My popcorn, let's see. Your mom and I are the ones who went to work, right? Uh, we're the ones who earned the money. Then we're the ones who even went to the store, pulled that popcorn off the shelf, then brought it home, popped it up so that we could hear you say that it's your popcorn, Okay, sure. But not only that. See, I also, not only did I own the popcorn, I controlled the popcorn. <laughs> See, at the time, all of my children were smaller than me. That's not true anymore. But at the time, I outweighed all three of my children put together. So if I wanted some of their popcorn, all I had to do was reach in and take it. There was nothing they could do to stop me. And then when I would really think about it, something else occurred to me as well. You know what? I really don't need your popcorn. I don't need it. I mean, look, I could go to the store and I could buy every freaking box of popcorn on the shelf. I could bring it home. I could line my kitchen with popcorn boxes all the way around. I could go right back to the pantry, pull out another bag, pop it up, and have all the popcorn that I want. So what did I really want as a parent? I wanted my kids to be willing to share the very blessing that I had provided. God blesses us. He blesses you and he blesses me and he's given us all some popcorn. Now, some of us, he's given small bags. Some of us, he's given a little bit bigger bags. Uh, to others, he's given medium-sized bags. To still others, he's given a bucket of popcorn. And to still others, he's given a freaking lot of popcorn. You know what? I've been waiting to do that all morning. That is more popcorn than I have ever seen in my entire life. I think this is totally awesome. Anyway, God blesses us, right? But no matter how much God's given us, whether he's given us a little or whether he's given us a lot, we need to be willing 
to share and offer back to God some of the blessing that he has so graciously given to us. See, he commands us to offer some of that right back to him. You know, not because, uh, I mean, because here's the thing. Uh, we have to acknowledge, just as I was the provider of the popcorn, everything that you and I have, God has provided it. And furthermore, he controls it. At any moment, if God wanted to, he could take that all away from you. He could take it all away from me. In the same way, I could have taken popcorn away from my kids, right? He could do that. And then finally, he doesn't, he doesn't ask for your popcorn because he needs it. I didn't, I didn't reach my hand over into my kid's bag because I needed it. No, he, he does it because he wants you to be generous and conform to the character that he has. The reason we should be generous is because Jesus was first generous and gracious with us. And he commands us to offer that right back to him. But you know what some of our reaction is when Jesus teaches on stuff like this? Jesus says, hey, hey, don't store up treasures on earth. Ho, oh, whoa! That's mine. It's mine. And Jesus says, no, it isn't. It isn't yours. It all belongs to me. It's just on loan to you. And one day I'm going to come back and you're going to be held accountable for how you use it. This is so important to understand this bedrock principle that God owns everything. And this is what makes our all-in ask so important. Because this is our opportunity as a church family to offer right back to God what he has already so graciously given to us in the first place. And it's even cooler than that because we in this room have the privilege of investing to make our community a better place to live. And we get to do that together. And my hope is that we would be a church that would be so crazy generous in her community that people would scratch their heads in awe and wonder at uh, what would make people do something like that. What would make people part with their money like that? See, this is an ask to invest in people for eternity. This is our opportunity not to simply store up treasures on earth. Look, Jesus doesn't say store up treasures in heaven because it's good or right. You know what he's saying here? Do it because it's wise, because it's the best investment you can make, because it's the smartest thing to do, because one day you're going to part with all that money in your pocket anyway. But if you send it up ahead, you get to keep it forever. This is just such a big deal. And listen, I have to say this. You know, it's just a qualifier. I have to say every time that I talk about money as a pastor, well, first of all, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, here we are. Oh, here we go again. It's the church. And, you know, they're talking about money. The checkbook must be low. Listen, that is not what this is about. As your pastor, I do not want something from you. I want something for you. I want the legacy of generosity that your heavenly father calls you to because it's the only way to be fully formed into the image of Jesus. It's the only way to know that you're really all in. 
So this is why Jesus said, you know, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So listen, if you're here this morning and you don't long for heaven or you don't feel like you're, you know, you love Jesus or things very much, well, chances are you, your treasure hasn't been put there yet. Start putting some treasure there, and I promise you, you'll begin to love Jesus more, and you'll begin to love, uh, you'll begin to think a little bit more about heaven. And then Jesus says an interesting thing right in the middle of his talk. He starts talking about the eye, and he says the eye is the lamp of the body, and if, you're, you know, you're, uh, if your eye is bad, the whole body's going to be bad. And then he starts talking about light and darkness, and he says, man, if, if, you're, if, if you're dark, you're going to be really, really dark. He's still talking about that in the context of money. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that greed will corrupt your entire life. And that what greed looks like to God, it doesn't look like light at all. It looks like darkness. And that that darkness will completely consume you if you let it. So this is why it becomes so important to take some of that and offer it back to him. It guards against greed and materialism. Now, one more thought. Sometimes people hear a message like this and they'll say something. They kind of want to push back and I get it. They'll say something like this. Hey, you know, I'm the one who went to work. I'm the one who did the work. I'm the one who earned the raises. I'm the one who bought the stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm with you, pastor. And uh, that's a really old thought. People have been thinking it for a long time. In fact, uh, Moses, remember him? He was the guy that led Israel out of bondage in Egypt. He actually addressed this question. And so here's what Moses said about this. He said, well, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers today. In other words, what Moses is saying is this. You may have worked for it. You may have earned it. But who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the ability uh, to uh, go to work every day? In other words, who gave you your gifts? Who gave you your temperament? Who gave you the opportunities that you were given to go to work? Who gave you the ability to process? God gave you all of those things. So think about it this way. I said this a month or so ago. If God had put you uh, on a mountain in Mongolia in the 13th century, I don't think you'd be doing so good. I don't care how hard you worked. You and I have what we have because God put us in a position where we could go out and earn it. Earn it. Okay, so here's what I want to do. So on your seats, you're going to see two things. Uh, you're going to see, uh, I, I, I think I have them both up here, but I have no idea. Oh, there it is. Okay, so these two things. Pull those up. I want everybody to grab one of those. If you didn't take these home last week, please take them home with you this week. Now, last year, we did all in. We did five Sundays. This year, we're doing three. So next Sunday, we're going to come back together, and I'm going to ask you to not simply store up treasures on earth. I'm going to ask you to take the teaching of Jesus seriously and make a 
decides a commitment and a decision to give consistently and faithfully to all in in this next year. And so um, I want to point out just a couple of things because there's a lot of different categories of people here. So, uh, so last November when we did this originally, COVID was still raging. The, this room was probably less than half this full. So some of you weren't around, you weren't here, you, maybe you weren't able to make a commitment. So there's some people in here who haven't made a commitment to All In. And so you could make a new commitment. It would be a commitment for one year, not two. Uh, so, uh, so if you're new, um, it's an opportunity to do that, right? Or if you didn't have a chance the first time, it's an opportunity. There's another group of people, and this is just an opportunity to revise our commitment, either up or down. So in other words, some of us are here. We thought we could do, do more. We thought we could do better, but we, were, uh, we just don't, we're, aren't able to. So I need to revise my commitment for the next year down a little bit. Others of us, God's blessed us, maybe beyond what we imagined. So this is our opportunity to say, to, to pray and seek God and ask him, God, do you want me to do more? So some of us whom God has blessed, we're going to revise it up for the remainder of the year, right? So it's an opportunity to revise a commitment either up or down. Some of us are going to stand pat. If you, maybe you made a commitment last November and you say, no, you know what? I'm, I'm right where I need to be. I'm right where God's told me to be. So I'm just going to stand pat. I'm going to keep making the same commitment. Now, I'm going to ask you to fill out a new card, even if you're making the same commitment. I want everybody to fill out a new card, all of us. Now, let me say a couple things. One of our goals for All In was 100% participation. That means if you're here this morning and you've never, you know, you're taking baby steps in your journey into generosity, start. Take some baby steps. Maybe you're here and finances are really, really tight for you. I get that. Look, but start somewhere. You got to start. Remember, no matter how small your bag is, you still have to be willing to offer some of that back to God. So even if you have to start at $5 a week, start. That's 100% participation, and that's amazing and awesome. So uh, really important to get that. Now, um, okay, so I want to give you some numbers and just really brag on how amazing our God is for a few moments. So, uh, so we were concerned out of the gate last November because we had a goal as far as a number was concerned, and we didn't reach that goal. And, and we, so we were like, well, okay, we'll do what we can. But I'm going to tell you, God has parted the Red Sea for us in 2021, and I want to tell you how he's done it. The first way he did it was through what used to be Shelby Senior Services there on South Harrison Street. Many of you know that's now called The Bridge. We purchased that from Shelby Senior Services. They were incredibly gracious to us. Uh, so, uh, so I'm going to tell you the terms of that agreement. Uh, that building is probably worth dollars to $600,000. They sold it to us on incredible terms. They sold it to us for $350,000. We gave them $200,000 down. 
and then we're going to pay them five, for five years lump sum payments of $30,000 each year, at which time we'll own the building. And here's the crazy part. They even gave us, they're carrying the interest on the note. They're not even charging us interest on that $150,000. They're carrying that. That's just incredible. So God's given us a building that's worth well over half a million dollars that we have $200,000 in right now. I think that's amazing. Don't you? So I want to tell you a second way that I think God has uh, parted the Red Sea for us. So another part of our vision is we wanted to do jobs and skills training through uh, what we're calling Shelby Supply. And Craig Olson is leading that charge. And what we want to do is we want to teach and train people how to make and build furniture. Then we want to sell that furniture. And then we want to buy, get to the point where that business buys homes and flips homes and teaches these men and women uh, skills training, whether it's rehabbing a house, whether it's uh, building furniture or woodworking, whatever it is, then these men and women can go out and they can get jobs. Because one of the things we're hearing from business owners all all over Shelby County, they're all saying the same thing. We can't hire and keep good people. So we want to chase that problem down. We want to we begin to uh, move people into the workforce. So we want to also help them do things like, hey, here's how you interview for a job. Here's how you keep a job. Here's the things you have to do, you know, to to get, get up and go to work every single day. Uh, and in doing that, we believe we're making our community a better place to live. So I cast this vision for a businessman who doesn't go to our church, but he's a generous guy, and he owns the mall, the strip mall, where the, uh, theater, the, the theater is, where Cholula's is. And so at the, end, at the other end of that property, for, uh, opposite the theater, there's a standalone building that's empty right now. For, uh, for Just to help you get it, Harrison Street Power used to be in it. Uh, they bailed. And he heard our vision, and he said, listen, I believe God is in this. I'm only one of the owners of that mall, so I have to work through some other partners, but I'm going to start today, and I, my hope is that I can secure that building, and then I want to give it to you or lease it to you for $1 a year. $1 a year. Now, we still don't have it yet. He's still working on that deal, but it's looking better and better all the time. But even when we buy that building, we're going to have to get it up to speed. We're going to have to purchase equipment. We're going to have to invest in that building so that we can use it. But let me just tell you, we, if we were going to build a building for Shelby Supply, we couldn't have picked a better location. And it's a building, we would have built one almost just like it. God is just so good, isn't he? Yeah, I love that too. Uh, and here's another benefit, and I want to share some of these numbers with you. Because we're a year into All In, many of you know there were a lot of things wrapped up in that. We began our new preschool. We, we, throwed seed, we threw seed money at that so that that's up and running. That's self-sustaining. So we don't have to worry about that ministry and taking care of those kiddos. That ministry can go on forever, and all we pay is the utilities. Uh, but then the other pieces we uh, talked quite a bit about were um, 
Oh, the women's home and bridge to hope. So I mentioned the acquisition of the building. So we know what it costs every month for our for bridge to hope, for our women's home for women who are recovering from addiction. We know what those costs are now. So our uh, bridge to hope is costing us about $10,000 every month for uh salaries for utilities for upkeep on and on it goes 10 grand a month we're spending on that home and the bridge uh, is also costing us about ten thousand dollars a month with salaries with uh, upkeep with utilities all that so each of those and those are additional costs right i mean those are brand new to our church uh so uh yeah, so we're just, you know, absorbing all of that. So all of that to say this, I am as sure as I've ever been as a pastor of God's call for us to venture out into our community in a spirit of generosity. I know it as sure as I've ever known anything. And this is our opportunity to take a gigantic leap forward and invest in treasures, not only that will last, but that will make the city that we all live in a better place to live. Uh, so, I mean, what's not to like about this? This is just an incredible thing to me. So next week, I'm going to ask you, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to take all this stuff home. And I want you to talk to your spouse, and I want you to pray, and I want you to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What are you asking me to do? How do you want me to respond to what you want to do in Shelbyville, Indiana, in the little community that I live in? And then, for some of you, Jesus is going to make a really big ask. And I don't want you to shrink back from that. You know, then I want you to have the courage to step into whatever it is that Jesus is asking you to do. And I want every one of us in the room to wrestle with this, whether we've just been given little or whether we've been given more or much or just, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex resources. So, uh, so I want you to go home and pray about that. And then I want you to come back next Sunday and, and this is going to be an altar, and we're just going to bring uh, our offerings to the Lord. And we're going to, just in the same way that in First Chronicles 29, God's people presented their offerings to him, and King David uh, pr gave praise to God in that, we're going to do the same exact thing next week. And so if you weren't able to, to invest in this opportunity last time, listen, this is the best investment opportunity you're ever going to get. I mean, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon ain't got nothing on this ask because none of those things can go into eternity. So what are you going to do? Is it just going to be treasures on earth or is it going to be about treasures in heaven? So let me pray for you and for me and then I'm going to ask Amy to come up and we're all going to respond in worship together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, I did my best. Would you just do the rest of the work by your Holy Spirit? Would you move and challenge and convict and um, 
do a good thing in us. God, I pray that um, we would be so crazy generous as a church that our community would just scratch their heads. Would you use us in that kind of way? Would you form that kind of generosity in our church family? I ask and pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, so would you guys stand and let's just, uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful song that Amy's going to sing. And I really want you to focus on the words. They're so powerful. So let's just listen in as Amy sings. <laughs>